Thanks for tuning in for Love, Live, Lead, the broadcast ministry of Christ Community Church of Imperial Valley. We would love to help you plan your visit, so we encourage you to visit our website at www.cccciv.org for service times and our events calendar. Or get the app. You'll find the Christ Community Church IV mobile app in your app store for Apple or Android devices. Paul, Silvanus, and Timothy to the church of the Thessalonians, and God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. We ought always to give thanks to God for you, brothers, as is right, because your faith is growing abundantly, and the love of every one of you for one another is increasing. Therefore, we ourselves boast about you in the churches of God for your steadfastness and faith in all your persecution and in the afflictions that you are enduring. This is evidence of the righteous judgment of God, that you may be considered worthy of the kingdom of God, for which you are also suffering, since indeed God considers it just to repay with affliction those who afflict you, and to grant relief to you who are afflicted as well as to us when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire, inflicting vengeance on those who do not know God and on those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. They will suffer punishment of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his might when he comes on that day to be glorified in his saints and to be marveled at among all who have believed because our testimony to you was believed. To this end, we always pray for you that our God may make you worthy of his calling and may fulfill every resolve for good and every work of faith by his power so that the name of Jesus, the name of our Lord Jesus may be glorified in you and you in him according to the grace of our God. In the Lord Jesus Christ. I remember early on in my ministry, I would attend these uh, pastors' conferences. You know, you, you get into ministry, you're a new pastor, and you want to learn all you can learn. So one of the things I did was I would attend these pastors' conferences. I even went to Texas one year, and there was a pastors' conference at Tony Evans Church, and met a lot of good people there. And I praise God for those days, and I remember being around the table with other pastors, and I would always be, you know, telling them about what God was doing in Imperial Valley, what God was doing in El Centro in Christ Community Church. Their first response was, where in the world is El Centro? But they would, they would always listen with intrigue. And then there were other conversations I'd be in with people. And as they would talk about their churches, they would talk about the buildings or the size of their congregation and whatnot. And I think it's good to boast about the church for the right things. Churches can make the mistake of taking pride in the wrong things. They can take pride in their large membership, the size of their church, the design of their church buildings, the social status of their attendees, the influence they wield in the community, and other things that I would consider myself to be superficial. The church in Thessalonica didn't have any of those things, and yet the Apostle Paul would boast on them. Look at verse 4, he says, Therefore we ourselves boast about you, 
in the churches of God for your steadfastness and faith in all your persecutions and in the afflictions that you were enduring. Paul was right to boast about them, but it was for the right things. It was boasting about what God was doing in their lives, the mere fact that they would continue to persevere and endure during times of affliction, times of persecution, because back then it was not easy to be a part of the church. It was very, very difficult. You, you know, today we have easy membership pretty much because none of you are really facing much persecution, at least not yet. But, but this church, the Thessalonians, if you read 1 Thessalonians and 2 Thessalonians, that you will find that this is a church really to be modeled after. They were on fire, as we would say, about the Lord, and really it radiated in their times of persecution. This church remained faithful. They were steadfast during times of difficulties. They were fruitful, and they were faithful. And as I look at this and we jump into chapter 1, I want you to see some of these things that kind of rise to the top about this church and also the things that Paul was encouraging them in, such as the promise of justice that will come down the road. I think all of us as Christians, we have that part in us where that righteous indignation will will crop up when injustices are committed. And Paul even deals with that really as an inspiration to them as they continue pushing forward and they face a world that's hostile and a world that is filled with injustices that take place towards Christians. Now, when we get into the greeting, those first two verses, I'm not going to rehash the background of the church in Thessalonica. If you want that, you can Listen to Pastor Chris's message in 1 Thessalonians. His first message there gave background context to the church in Thessalonica. This letter, this epistle that Paul wrote, the Apostle Paul wrote, was about, it was several months after the first epistle that he wrote. So when you look at 2 Thessalonians, it was not years down the road when it was written. It was written on the heels of 1 Thessalonians. You can listen to that message, but the only difference is in verse 2, where Paul would say in 1 Thessalonians, grace to you and peace and peace. And he ends it there in, in the first epistle, but here he adds, Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And I think that's significant as Paul would write to them again, knowing the difficulties that they were facing and wondering at times, where is God in all of this, that he would remind them that God is a fountain of grace. He is the source of our grace. And the more grace he gives out, he doesn't get any less empty. He has enough to provide grace for every single one of us for the rest of our lives. And that's important because as we face these things in this life here, the more we walk with the Lord and the more difficult things become, the more we realize we need the grace of God. You've heard that term before, without the grace of God, there go I, right? If it wasn't for the grace of God, there go I. And I think that's important to keep in mind in our Christian walk because there's times where we may get tired 
There's times where we may feel like walking away from it all. And we've seen that in the church through the years. We're going to be 25 years old at the end of this year. And through the years, we have seen people just say, man, I've had it. I'm done with it. They've been through maybe a divorce or something, and they just turn their back. They've never returned to the Lord from that. And I wake up in the morning, and I don't judge that. I say, man, if it wasn't for the grace of God, there go I. And so that's the main difference in the greeting. Everything else is word for word in that verses 1 and 2. And I find it fascinating that he would add to grace to you and peace, making sure it's from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. That's where we go. It is the throne of grace in Hebrews chapter 4. We are reminded that God's throne is the throne of grace to give us strength in our times of affliction. So as we jump into this first chapter and we see what Paul is writing here to the church, him and his companions, and they boast to the other churches about it, I want you to first note that Paul gives praise for their spiritual growth. He gives praise for their spiritual growth. He says, we ought always to give thanks to God for you, brothers, as is right. Because your faith is growing abundantly and the love of every one of you for one another is increasing. He begins by praising them for their spiritual growth. I think that's good when he says we ought to. It is right to give thanks for their spiritual growth and we should learn to do that. Sometimes, you know, Paul isn't talking about something unhealthy here to where he's using flattery or putting them on a pedestal, but yet he's recognizing the grace of God in their life and how they're growing spiritually, and he's really giving them thanks for that. And ultimately, God gets the thanks for that, but we don't do that often enough, do we? I think when we see somebody, maybe it's one of our children, we see something where they're growing and they're beginning to progress in the things of the Lord. It's right that we should tell them, you know what, I thank God for what he's doing in your life. I thank God for how you're growing in the things of the Lord. And that becomes a source of encouragement. Too often we're thankless in our Christianity. We see somebody really growing and moving in the Lord. And there's sometimes, I'll send a text. I know Pastor Chris and the other pastors do as well, that we'll send a text of encouragement and just, man, we thank God for what he's doing in your life today. And maybe if you're backslidden, you've been away from the Lord for a long time, or you've been away from the church for a long time, just pick up where God left off in your life because he's not the one who left off. You're the one who left off, but he's there with open arms once again. And as you continue your walk with the Lord, I would be the first one to say, I thank God for what he's doing in your life. Amen. And so look what he thanks them for. I mean, he praises them for this spiritual growth, but he says their faith is growing. He not only says their faith is growing, but growing abundantly. Now, imagine that in the midst of trying circumstances, that their faith isn't just sputtering along. It's actually growing abundantly. I think too often we, we don't understand that God uses the difficulties in our life for the most spiritual growth, right? I keep thinking I'm going to wake up one morning and I'm going to look like this superhero. I mean, why do I need to go to the gym, <laughs> right? I mean, I'm praying, Lord, you know, just when I get up one morning, I want a 32-inch waist. 
I'm not going to tell you I got a suit for Carissa's wedding the other day. And, well, that's another story. You don't want to hear that. But, you know, it's the same with nothing ain't going to happen if I don't do anything. Nothing ain't going to happen in your life unless difficulties come. And church in Thessalonica should be looked at as a church where, man, they weren't driven from the Lord. They were driven deeper in the things of God. Can you say that about your faith this morning? Can you really say that your faith is growing this morning? Hey, well, what do you mean? Well, are you talking more about the things of God? Is Jesus coming off your lips more than usual? Are you giving more to the work of God than to your own self now? Are you starting to center your attention on others and not so much yourself? Because when your faith grows, you see less of yourself and you see more of what God's doing. Is, are you serving? Are you involved in serving? Have you even made the effort to get into a community group or a life group, I mean, and, and join with other believers and things like that? There's evidences that our faith grows. People think faith is this abstract thing that you just can't define and you can't really see and everything. Oh, we can see our faith. Paul saw their faith growing abundantly. And how did he see that? He didn't see the inside of their heart. Didn't see their internal man, he saw the external because what was happening internally was playing out externally. So their faith was growing, it commends them. And I like this one, not only was their faith growing, but their love was increasing. Notice what he says, the love of every one of you. Every one of you. It wasn't, hey, the love of some of you for one another is increasing. He says the love of every one of you is increasing. This should be the way it is in the church, right? If there's any place somebody should be able to find real love, it's in the church, right? We live in a culture now where people are rejected, come from broken homes. You remember, if you were here for Noel G, the actor in Hollywood, I, I loved what he said, by the way, on Wednesday night. You can go back and listen to it. But, you know, his parents abandoned him when he was 13 years old. And he lived on the street by himself, 13 to 15 years old, and then he went into a pastor's home. A pastor took him off the streets into his home, and he said, look, if you're going to live here, and you're going to live in my house, then you got to hear the word of God, and you got to go to church. He goes, I'll listen to anything. I just want a roof over my head. And that's where the seed of God's word was being planted at that time, because a pastor was not afraid to take him into the house. He saw this 15-year-old living on the street, and it was a marvelous story. The guy, he said so many good things, but he got his break in acting through a Taco Bell commercial. You know, he went to acting school class. Somebody invited him, hey, just come check it out. This guy sees him and says, man, you'd look great. You'd do great in a Taco Bell commercial. He goes, what, that fake Mexican food? I'm Mexican to the core. I'm a Latino. Don't insult me with all of that stuff. Then the guy told him how much he'd make, and he'd say, okay, just this one time. <laughs> and that's how he got his break. But, but he was brought in, and the love of a pastor was seen to him. The love of God was shown to him really for the first time in his life. And now he goes around, and he shares... There's a lot of good things. You'll hear about that down the road. But he says the love of every one of you, every one of you, all of you, your love is increasing. Can you say that today? 
that your love for others is increasing because you can sit in church and your heart can get cold, especially when people wear on you and people are needy and things like that. That's a trial in itself, but our love is supposed to increase in those times. And when somebody comes to Christ Community Church, I want them to run into enough people that they can't outrun love. Love is going to be, they're going to say, man, that's the most loving church I've ever gone to in my life. And they're loved on. And we're living in a hurting world that needs to be loved, right? It's one of the greatest blessings, I think, too, of being part of a life group. Because we get to exercise those virtues that the Lord has called us to exercise. Our faith grows as we're in a life group and we're interacting with people. We get in the word a little bit deeper, but we also get that opportunity to exercise love in ways we couldn't on a Sunday morning. That God has poured his love into our hearts according to uh, Romans chapter five through the Holy Spirit and he pours this love into us and when do we ever get a chance to pour it out? Sometimes we show up for church, right? And then we're gone out of here in an instant and we're out of here and we never even interact with other people. But God has poured his love out into our hearts and it should be increasing in our lives. The longer we walk with God, our hearts shouldn't get colder. They should get more loving. And Jesus said in the last days that the love of many is gonna grow cold. Right before his return, the love of many is going to grow cold. And do we not see that in the world today? Are we not seeing that when we watch the news and we see an 80-year-old man blindsided by a 20-year-old just punched in the face for no reason, people being pushed off the subway into the tracks for nothing they've done? But we're seeing the love of the world grow colder and colder and colder. But the love of the church should be increasing should increase. And that's why I'm a big proponent of, of life groups. Not, not because, hey, we want to see a bunch of life groups going, but in a congregation our size, I think there's only about 110 right now in life groups, and we have them at all times of the week. And you get to go there and you get to exercise those things that God has poured into you. So it doesn't grow stagnant like a pond with no outlet, but the things of God continue to refresh your soul as you pour out. Amen. There's not only this praise for spiritual growth, but there's also the proof of kingdom citizenship. I think this is important. It gets interesting here in verse 5. Look at verse 5. It says, this is evidence of the righteous judgment of God. Righteous judgment of God is not speaking of judgment against sin or judgment for anything bad or judgment towards the unbeliever, the righteous judgment of God speaking of here is speaking of his righteous decision to allow suffering to build up his people. God has chosen to build the character of his people through the difficulties they experience in this evil world. So the righteous judgment of God are his decisions to allow suffering into our own lives for our own good. Some of you, that may not click. may have come out of a place where the evidence of God in my life is all the material things I own. No, we're going to get to, in a minute, what the evidence of this righteous judgment of God is in just a moment. But let me just say three quick things about suffering that are true of the true believers in their lives, all right? One, suffering purges out the impurities in our heart. 
Suffering purges out the impurities in our heart. Isaiah chapter 1 verse 25 says, I will turn my hand against you. I will thoroughly purge away your dross and remove all your impurities. And that was written to backslidden Israel whose heart was way off base and God had to send judgment in their lives to purge them of those impurities in their heart. And so suffering will always purge the impurities in a true believer's heart. Suffering also purifies our faith. In Romans chapter 5, verses 3 to 4, it says not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance. I don't know how the name it and claim it preachers deal with verses like this. I just don't. He says not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces Hope. So we see in that that suffering will also purify our faith, but suffering also perfects our faith too. Without suffering, your faith cannot be perfected. In James chapter 1, verses 2 to 4, it says, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness, and let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. That's what God wants out of us. We say it, right? We say, man, I want my faith to grow. But we don't like the instruments that God uses. We want our faith to grow our way, and human nature says, I'm going to take the path of least resistance. God says, no, no, no. I'm going to help you grow your faith. And I don't know anybody who's got rock-solid faith who has not suffered at one point or another. Because that suffering has drilled down in their hearts a deep-bedded trust in God that no matter what is happening, I know when I come out the other end, I'm going to look prettier than when I went in. Right? Women know what I'm talking about when you go to the hairdresser and everything else, right? they got to put you under that hot... Whatever it is, it looks like a helmet. And right when the heat's turned up, man, the hair looks prettier, I guess. I mean, I don't, I'm not a hairdresser or anything. But this is the evidence of the righteous judgment of God. Just because God's people suffer persecution, reject in this world, it doesn't mean that God isn't with them. In fact, it is the evidence that God is with them. It is the very evidence of his um, presence, the evidence of his presence. How, how many have ever heard the term, you've heard this saying before, if they were to call you to court and put you on the, the stand, would there be enough evidence to convict you as a Christian? In other words, if you were being tried for your Christianity and they dragged you in court, would there be enough evidence to convict you as a Christian, well, in the church in Thessalonica, they would. And the evidence that's there is that through their endurance, they were faithful to God. So, fruitfulness. The question is this. Is the evidence of the righteous judgment of God speaking about that which was said before, that their faith was growing and their love was increasing in the midst of persecution? Or is he speaking about 
what comes after that. This is the evidence of the righteous judgment of God that you may be considered worthy of the kingdom of God for which you are now suffering. What is he speaking of? Well, I think it's both. I think that the evidence is first fruitfulness in persecution, amid persecution, fruitfulness in the midst of persecution. Look at verse 4. He says, therefore, we ourselves boast about you in the churches of God for your steadfastness and faith in all your persecution and in the afflictions that you are now enduring, that you are enduring. So their fruitfulness is in the midst of the persecution. This becomes proof of kingdom citizenship. Thanks for tuning in for Love, Live, Lead, the broadcast ministry of Christ Community Church in Imperial Valley. Christ Community Church has campuses in El Centro, Calexico, and Brawley with services in English and in Spanish. Your kids are going to love our kids' church. Plus, we have a lively youth ministry and young adults group. You're welcome to call the church office at 760-337-9400 with your questions. Or leave us a message on the Christ Community Church IV mobile app, the cccivy.org website, or direct message us on social media. We are really looking forward to meeting you. So again, the website is www.cccivy.org or call 760-337-9400 so we can plan your visit.